Everybody stand. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter number 15. I'm just going to read a few verses from there. Look at a, a very familiar passage of Scripture. Luke chapter 15, and we'll start our reading in verse number 11. When you arrive there, would you please say amen? The Bible says this. It says, and he said, and this is he being Jesus, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. Let's pray. Father, we love you, God. We thank you for all that you do. God, we thank you for the many blessings that you've given us, God, for all that you've done for us this week. God, we praise you. Lord, I thank you for each one that's here this morning, God, for the, for the effort that they've put out. God, I just pray that you would bless them for being here. God, I just pray that as your word goes out, God, that, that you would be glorified. And Lord, that you would just move me out of the way, God, and that you would speak. Lord, speak to hearts this morning. God, if there's anybody lost, God, anybody backslidden this morning, Lord, anybody that's grown cold on you, God, I just pray that you would call them. Call them to come and, and Lord, maybe to get saved or to renew that fire. Whatever the, the situation is in each life, God, you know it. God, I just pray that you would help me to convey the message that you would have me to preach. In Jesus' name, amen. I like this passage of Scripture, and, I, and I've heard it preached probably a hundred different times in my life. I grew up in church and, and my pastor brother Danny used to preach this a lot and then my pastor brother Clayton, his sister's here this morning, I've heard him preach it. And so I've heard this scripture so many times but I think in, in the entire time that I've been preaching I've only preached this scripture one other time and, and it's kind of strange to me that a scripture that's this powerful I, I've not preached it that much but you've probably heard it and, and you probably if you're a Christian especially you know what this story's about and so I won't, I won't spend a lot of time introducing it I just want to let you know that Jesus here is speaking to a group of people and he's talking to them about their relationship with God and the first thing that Jesus talks about is he talks about a, a sheep that got lost a sheep that, that had a shepherd and then it, it astray from that shepherd and the shepherd went and found that sheep and then it talks about a lady later that had some coins and that she lost one of those silver coins and that she was greatly distressed and when they found it that there was celebration and so he's talking about sheep and he's talking about coins but then in this particular section of scripture Luke chapter 15 starting in verse 11 Jesus if I can say this he kind of humanizes this section See, we, we can understand sheep, but in reality, we're not sheep. We can understand what it's like to maybe lose some money and then find it. I mean, don't you just, don't you just have some joy in your heart when you find $5 in the laundry? I mean, really, come on, don't you? I know I do. Or $10. I've never found 100 though. We don't have many of them around my house. But, but anyways, you, you know how you, you, you like doing that. But then Jesus talks to us, and he starts talking to us in a human fashion. And he starts off this story and he says a certain man, now this is a parable, but Jesus said a certain man had two sons. And it says, and the younger of them said unto his father, 
Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. So let's set the story up here. We, we see a father, and if there's a father, then no doubt in the background somewhere there's a mother, or at least there has been. And then we have two sons. And we also know that, that the, not only did they have two sons, but they had two servants. So what we have here is a picture of a working Jewish farm, a family that worked for a living. And so we find here that the, the man had two sons. And so it's hard for me to envision and hard for me to understand that if one of my kids came to me, listen, and Barrett, he's not big enough to say much, but he can, he can talk. But if they came to me and they said, Dad, give me what falls to me right now, what would you parents do? What would a lot of you do? Well, a lot of kids, you'd just turn them over and whoop them real good, wouldn't you? Well, that's, that's coming to you. I know you had it coming. But this father, he makes a decision that, that I find is strange as a father. He says, okay, son, if you think you know what your best interest is, he said, I'll go ahead and I'll divide it. It says in, in the end of verse number 12, and it says, and he divided unto them his living. So he gave his other son, see the elder son also got a portion of this living. We don't need to, to leave him out and, and think that he didn't get anything. He got also what was coming to him. But the younger son, it says in verse 3, did something. Very familiar scripture. We're all aware of what's about to happen. And it says, and not many days after that, just a short time later, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. This word riotous living, this that you could simply plug in the word there, sinful, if you wanted to. This young man went, and this was probably a good godly father. This was a man that loved his children. He absolutely loved his children. We'll get to that a little later. But it says that he went and he wasted what his father had given him. Now I just want to say to you this morning that, that you can look at this scripture in, in a number of different ways. You can look at it as someone that's been given life and has, has not yet come to the Father. Or you can look at somebody that, that has once known the Father and they've separated themselves and they come back. And we're going to kind of look at it from both ways. But regardless of the way you look at it, regardless, I want you to understand this, that God has given us all something. Can you say amen? We may not be rich, we may not have the nicest things in the world, but God has greatly blessed us all with something. If nothing else, if you're here this morning, then that means that you have the ability to get out from your bed and make it to the house of God. That's a pretty good blessing, isn't it? You know how I know that? Because this week I went to the hospital about three different times and I saw a man named Bill Harrison. Anybody know Bill Harrison? And he was laying flat on his back. And he would love to be sitting in your pew this morning, but he can't do it. Why is that? Because, because he doesn't have the ability. But you know what? He still praises the Lord. God has blessed us so much with the ability to even be here this morning. God has given us the very breath that we have in our lungs. God has blessed us beyond anything that we could ever imagine. And yet a lot of times, what does it seem that we do? We seem to take the route of the prodigal son if we're not careful and we'll just waste what the Father has given us. We'll take it and we'll just, we'll just squander it away. We find later that, that this young man spent his, his money on some, some awful things. Let's read on in the scripture. It says, that, and in verse number 14, it says, And when he had spent all, that means he was broke, 
There arose a mighty famine in that land. And he began to be in want. So this young man, I, I like what the, Jesus said here. There's two words that, that really you need to pay attention to. And that first word is wasted. But then the next word that he uses that, that's sort of a descriptor of what he done, it says that he wasted it and he spent it. We find out that he spent it on a number of things. He spent it on some women. He spent it probably on, on maybe he was drinking alcohol. I don't know what all he was doing. Maybe he was gambling. But whatever it was, he had taken what God had so blessed him with, what the Father had given him, and he just decided to just squander it away. Just give it away. And, and you think, well, well, what's that young man thinking? Why would, why would he take what his father gave him, all that his father had worked for hard all his life, and just waste it? But then I ask you the same question, why are you still wasting what God gave you? Amen? <laughs> I mean, it's the truth, isn't it? It seems like that, that so many people are wasting good blessings on things that don't amount to anything. Those, those, those prostitutes that that young man wasted his money on, they soon went away. All that gambling, it went away. And, and, and sure, he might have had some friends while he had money, but guess where he ended up? He ended up in the pigsty, didn't he? If you read on in the scripture, it says, And there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. What does that mean? Well, he was hungry. This was a hungry guy, and it says, And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have fain filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. We see that this young man abandoned his family. Completely abandoned them. I mean, this guy, this young man, he had a job to do on the farm. Did you know that? His father had given him stuff to do, and... And, and he just decided, hey, I'm going to trade this life in for a little bit of pleasure. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 25, you, can, you don't have to turn over there, but it says that Moses had the option to stay with the Egyptians and enjoy, enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season. You know, there is pleasure in sin. I'm not going to lie to you. Can you agree with that? The Bible says in Hebrews 11:25, pleasure in sin for a season. But eventually, that pleasure comes to an end, doesn't it? Anybody in here, can, can you understand where I'm coming from? That if you've committed sin, and that you've known that you've committed sin, that after that sin is over, that, you just, that it just leaves you, it leaves you devoid of any kind of feeling. It just leaves you in a state of just helplessness, in a state that you don't want to be in. Why? Because the pleasure is over, and then you have to face reality. What does it, the Bible say in Romans that, that sin brings forth? It brings forth death eventually. Sin brings forth death. And because this young man had wasted everything that his father had given him, he was sent to the pigsty and he was staring death straight down the barrel. He was hungry. He was, he was about to starve to death. And as a young Jewish man... He, he couldn't, the pigsty was about the worst place a, a young Jewish boy could be. I think I told you all the story when I was in Cana and I accidentally tried to order sausage on a pizza in Israel. Wasn't that, well, that's spiritual, isn't it? And <laughs> I, maybe I hadn't told you all about that, but I did. I ordered pizza in Israel. That's, so there's a story for you. And I, and I ordered sausage from a Jewish guy and he just looked at me. He said, sausage? You're not getting sausage? He said, I said, what do you got? And he said, well, here, have some, uh, have some salami. I can't even remember what it was. 
Now some Jews, they absolutely hate pork. They hate pigs. And this young man was literally at the bottom of the barrel. He was as low down as any young Jewish boy could get. He was in sin, and sin had had taken over his life, and sin had stained him, and it had marred him, and it had completely covered him up. He was in the very apex of his sinful life, all simply because, guess what? He had abandoned the Father. You know what? It was his choice, too. It was his choice. I think that, that, that Jesus told us that the Father didn't argue with him for a reason. Why? Because we have free will. Uh, we, now, we are in a free will Baptist church, obviously, but most Protestants, a, a few of them don't believe, but most of them do, that we have a free will. We have a choice whether or not we will serve God. You have a choice this morning. You had a choice when you woke up this morning to come to church. And you have a choice when you were here in church this morning whether or not you will serve God. When you go to work tomorrow, you still have a choice whether or not you will serve God. You have a choice to live your life for God. And this young man is a very good example of what happens when you choose not to live your life for the Father. Amen? He's a great example of that. I'm sure that, that when he first got all that money, anybody in here ever know what it's like to get a, a good sum of money in your hands? You know, you get a, a few hundred dollars or a few thousand dollars or maybe you sell a car or whatever it is and it just feels good to have some money in your hand, don't it? I mean, you, you feel okay. And, and I'm sure that he did when he left and he thought, look at all this money Dad gave me. Look at all this stuff that Dad gave me. But then he started spending it. And, and, and I tell you what, money spins fast, don't it? It does. It seems like it's just in your hand and out. And he spent it and he spent it and he spent it. And before you know it, maybe he reached back in his wallet or reached in his back pocket and pulled his wallet out and said, Uh-oh. Uh-oh, what am I going to do now? Well, I'm hungry. I don't have any money to buy anything. What am I going to do? And so he went and he found this person and he joined himself to this person. And then in verse number 17, it says that he had an epiphany. Or, or it says in verse 17, and when he had came, and when he came to himself, it says, he said, how many hired servants of my father's house have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger. That word perish, he's, he's implicating that he is dying of hunger. That if he don't get some bread, if he don't get something in his belly, if he don't, don't get something to eat, that he is going to die. And then he thinks about how good he had it back there at dad's house. You know, I liked it when I was growing up back at dad's house, didn't you? When I didn't have to worry about anything. When you could go to the cabinet and you could just open the cabinet and there was food there. And, and it seemed like, well, you know, I didn't grow up in a rich family, but I always had something to eat. And you take that for granted when when things are going well, don't you? But when times get hard, boy, you get desperate, don't you? And so this young man got in that shape. He got down to the very bottom simply because he chose to abandon his father. But then he came to himself and he remembered, hey, wait a minute. My servants, my father's servants, they've got food, they've got bread. And so he decided to do something. And it's something that, that is, is probably one of the greatest struggles 
that we have in our churches today with people. It's a hard thing for an individual to do. It says in verse 18, and he says, And I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. So he decided in his heart at that point that he had had enough of that sinful lifestyle, that he had had enough of being hungry, that he had had enough of being away from his father. He had enough of it. You ever just have enough, Tanner? Sometimes I just, I just have enough of it that, that when something is between me and God and, and I know there's an enmity there that there shouldn't be and I just have enough of it and then I have to do something. I have to do what this young man did I have to swallow my pride. That's hard, isn't it? Any, I don't know about you, but sometimes, I'll just make a confession, sometimes I struggle with my pride. Well, you can hear a pin drop. Well, I think we got a prideful preacher. I, I try not to be like that, but, but you know, most, most guys in here, and some of you men can agree with me, please, you wives agree with me. You husbands are prideful sometimes, aren't they? Y'all can agree with me. Connie, has Jim ever been prideful? I'll, I'll just call Jim out. There's Brother Jim back there. I'm sure that they've been prideful. I heard two men talking this week about how they would not ask for directions under any circumstance, and I thought, how stupid. That's stupid. I don't ask either. I just ask my phone. <laughs> but we're prideful people. You know that? We are. We're prideful. And we're especially prideful when it comes to, to our sin and our lifestyle and the fact that sometimes we've turned our back on or separated ourselves from God. See, the father never, not one time did he separate himself from the son there. The son decided he was going to separate himself from the father. It was the son's decision because of free will. And so when he had had enough, when he had come to the end of his rope, he decided to swallow his pride. See, he had to get rid of that sin too. Not only did he have to get rid of the prostitutes and the gambling and all these other riotous things, these sinful things, but he had to get rid of his pride. No telling how long he had sat there in the pigsty hungry thinking about that, thinking, no, I can't go back. You know, my father, they probably think that I'm out here doing well for myself. My brother probably thinks that I've taken this money and I've bought me a house and started a farm and got a family and that I'm doing good. See, you know what people want to do? They want to look good while they're living in their sin, don't they? They, they want to put on a, a good happy face and make people think, hey, sin, this isn't as bad as you would think. And they're so prideful that they are not willing to admit that they're miserable where they are living. They're unable to admit that. They're too prideful to admit that. But this young man, he came to himself. He thought, you know what? I remember how loving my father was. And I remember how that when my father gave me what he gave me, that he didn't try to talk me out of it. That he just, maybe when he was leaving, said, I love you, son. And so we see the abandonment of the son. But then we get on down into verse number 20. And it says, and he arose, the young man arose and came to his father. But when he was a great way off, his father saw him 
Now that means to me that his father was looking for him, right? We understand that, that, that every day his father was probably sitting there on the porch waiting for his son. Waiting for him. His father didn't abandon him. His father didn't sit there every day and say, well, when my son, if he comes back, I'm going to send him packing. The father was sitting there waiting on his son, and his arms were open, and he was ready for him. What a picture of God's love. If you back up in, in the previous scriptures in, in, in Luke chapter 15, it talks about the shepherd and how that the sheep went away, that the shepherd had compassion on the sheep and went after the sheep and was looking for that sheep. And so many times we get caught up and, and God is just looking for us to come back. God is waiting for us to come back to him. Or maybe to come to him for the first time and be saved. But yet we think to ourselves, well, you know, I'm too prideful. And, and I know what kind of sin I've got in my life. And, and I would really hate for the Father to know what I've done. Well, God already knows what you've done, so just get that out of the way. God's watching you every day. God sees you in your sin. And he still loves you. He's still willing to extend mercy to you. And so you read the second half of verse number 20. Read it with me. And it says, When he was a great way off, that his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Ran and fell on his neck. His father ran to his son. Now, I don't know where I heard it, but a, a really good preacher who's a whole lot smarter than me talked one time about how that, that it was a shame for a Jewish man to run. That these men, these Jewish men, they kept it together and they moved and they were very solemn people. But when he saw his son, he, that he could not quell his compassion, that he could not put it aside, that he just literally, I bet he jumped for joy. What do you say? That he said, praise the Lord, there's my son. And it says that he saw him. All that son had to do was just make the first step. All that son had to do was just get near the home place. He just had to step out, swallow his pride, and go home. And no doubt on the way home, he prepared his speech to his father. Remember back there in the pig pen, he was preparing what he was going to say. I'm going to say to my father, Father, I have sinned against you, and I have sinned against heaven. What's the, one of the first steps to getting back in relationship with the father? That is to admit that you're wrong. That's to admit that you have sinned. And he was willing to admit that. He was willing to humble himself before the Father. No doubt that he had a plan that he was going to go to the Father and that he was going to bow down and get in a prostrate position. He was going to lay down in front of his Father and beg for mercy. Because this young man didn't know that his Father was waiting for him every day. He didn't know that his Father was looking down the road and waiting for his son to come home he thought, man, if I go home, my father's going to be mad at me. My father is going to hate me. When he finds out that I spent what I was given, when he finds out that I ended up in a pigsty, and when he sees all that I've done, he's probably not going to love me anymore. Anybody ever felt that way? That sometimes it, that God just wouldn't love you for what you've done? You know, I've, I've heard some people say that they didn't think that God would forgive them because of what they've done. They say, preacher, you don't know what I've done. And you know what I say to them? No, I don't, and I don't want to know what you've done. Don't confess it to me. Confess it to God. 
But I guarantee that God will forgive you. If God is dealing with your heart, you know there's, there's one unforgivable sin, and I won't get too deep into it, but that's blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. Okay? That's what the Bible says is unforgivable. But if God is dealing with you and speaking to you about your sin, that means that the Holy Ghost is doing it. So that means you haven't blasphemed Him. And that means that you still have the opportunity for forgiveness. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that a beautiful picture? What an idea that God would look at somebody as wretched as we are sometimes, as sinful as we can be sometimes, and still look at us and say, I love them. I don't get it sometimes, do you? I don't understand it. You know why I don't understand it? Because it's not in my capacity to understand it. Every bit of love that I have comes with condition. I hate to say it, but you're the same way. Why? Because you're a fallen human being. There's a point that, that in your life that you could quit loving somebody. Because we're not, we're not God. God has what's called agape love. God's love is without condition and without end. But we are not capable of that. Absolutely incapable of that. But God is capable. God is capable of looking at the worst person in the world and saying, I love them. Jesus can look at the worst person that we can ever think of, and I won't name any names, but you, names probably come to your mind of, of people in history that have killed millions of people and, and all these atrocities that people have committed. And Jesus died on the cross for them. And the Father is willing to say, I will forgive you. It says that he ran to this young man and then it says and he fell on his neck what does that mean that, that he just grabbed him and he embraced him and he hugged him and it says and he kissed him and so here in verse 21 is this is the confession of the son it says and the son said unto him father I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son and he was absolutely right that young man in that confession was right he didn't have any he didn't have anything on this father that, that he should be called son. His father should have looked at him and said, you know what, you get out of here. I expected if you ever came back that you would be dressed decently and that you would be clean. See, this boy when he came home was probably wearing ragged clothes and probably stunk to high heaven. You know what a pig farm smells like. It's awful, isn't it? It's absolutely terrible. Pigs are some of the stinkingest animals in the world. Amen, Andrew? Yeah, he's got pigs. That's why I'm calling him out on that. But they're the, the stinkingest creatures God created. And you know, our sin stinks to God. Did you know that? It is a stench in the nostrils of God. But yet we can come to God. And we can confess to him, God, I am not worthy to be called yours. God, I am not worthy of your forgiveness. He swallowed his pride and he said it. But we see that the father agonized over his son because he was watching for him. But his father, this father loved his son. And it says, but the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe. And put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. 
Not just, not just any robe, but he said the best robe. And why was that? In verse 24, this is the father's celebration. He said, for my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. There was great celebration every time in the previous verses of this chapter when, you, when, the, when the shepherd found the sheep and they, he carried him home on his shoulders. He said, hey, he said, let's have a party. Let's have a celebration. Why? Because the, the sheep was found. The lost sheep was found. And then the coin, when they, the lady found the coin, it said that there was great celebration made. And it was no different than when, than when forgiveness was given. There should be great celebration. Well, you know, if, if somebody is saved and born again, there should be great celebration. There is great celebration. Whether it's here, there may not be anybody say anything when, when you got saved. I don't remember when, when I got saved, there just being a big party or anything thrown. But did you know the Bible says that when we're, someone is saved, that the angels rejoice in heaven? Praise the Lord. Why? Well, because you can't, you can't help but celebrate a new birth, Right? You know, when somebody has a baby, a lot of times those babies are celebrated and gifts are given and all these great things. And when somebody comes to the Father, and, and, and we're talking about salvation now, and they get saved and they come to the Father and they say, God, forgive me, their celebration. Why? Because the sin is gone. What did the Father do? What did He give His Son? Well, He gave Him a new robe. What does that mean? That He reclothed Him. That he took off those filthy rags that the son came to him in. He took off that, that nasty stuff from the pigsty. He took off that sinful outer robe that he was wearing. And he gave him a clean robe to put on. God does this the same way, doesn't he? That God wipes away our sin and takes away our sin. And puts us in new clean clothes and gives us a new heart. And not only that, but he gave him new shoes. And he said, and he put a ring on his finger to signify that he was part of the family of God. Or part of this family. And God does the exact same thing. He gives us new clothes. It says that in, in Psalm chapter 40 uh, that he has put a new song in our mouth. And he has put us on a rock and, and made our steps to go in a new direction when he came home. But it took him making that decision, didn't it? See, the father couldn't have forced him to come home, could he? I mean, I, if, if it would take it, I would, I would try to force people to be saved. But it, I can't do it. You know, if there's, if there's a lost person in here this morning, if I could, I would come back to you, and, to you and I would take you by the hand and I would bring you to the altar and I would say, pray this prayer and you will be saved. But that's not how it works. It's not how it works. Some churches do that. But I want to tell you, that's not how it happens. You have to come on your own free will. You have to come and make the decision for yourself. That young man had a decision to make that day when he was sitting in the pigsty. He had a decision to make that, that was going to determine how he spent the rest of his life. He was either going to make the decision to swallow his pride and go home to his father or he was going to die right there in the pigsty. See, a lot of times we don't talk about the alternate ending that this story could have had. He could have just died, right? He could have said, you know what? 
I'm a little too prideful, and I don't want, I don't want my father to know what I've done. You know, children, they're, they're good at hiding sin, aren't they? Yeah, my kids, they, they color on the wall or something. They'll put something in front of it to try to hide it. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Don't, tell, don't act like your kid's never done that either. <laughs> but from a young age, I want to tell you, we, we start wanting to hide sin. And we, we start trying to cover sin up. And then later on, we, we live in sin and maybe you've never been saved and, and you don't know what it's like and you're living in that life of sin. And the only thing that is between you and God is pride. I think that's what it is. I think that's, that's probably the number one reason that people don't get saved. It's not because they enjoy the sin. It's, it's not because they don't want to go to heaven. It's just simply because they're too prideful to come down and admit that they can't do it on their own. See, that boy needed his father. If he was going to survive, if he was going to make it, if he was going to have a chance at life, he was going to have to go to the Father and ask the Father to forgive him. Ask the Father for bread. Ask the Father for something to drink. I'm sure when he got there, he was thirsty. But no, he didn't just get bread, did he? What happened in later on in the verses? It said that they killed the fatted calf. You know, he didn't just get a piece of bread. He got a T-bone steak out of the deal. Praise the Lord for that. And he was, a great celebration was made. And I guarantee that if this morning, if you come and you give your heart to Jesus, there will be a great celebration made. We will be, I mean, church, say amen right there. If somebody got saved, wouldn't you be excited about it? I know heaven's going to be excited. Why wouldn't we be excited? Why would we not be excited at the prospect of somebody not dying and going to hell? Well, if somebody saved, saved you from a house fire, you'd be pretty excited, wouldn't you? There'd be celebration made over there. We'll celebrate over the silliest things. But I tell you what, there, you know, there's going to be a celebration made tonight over, over some, some rich guys tackling each other, right? And they're going to hold a trophy up and say, oh, yeah, well, look what we've done. But if somebody escapes hell, we should praise the Lord for that. And there was great celebration made. So I'll ask you this morning, let's stand. Brother Cecil, come to the, come and get us a song. Lauren, Connie, Sister Connie, come forward. And I want to ask you that question. Everybody, everybody go ahead and bow your head and close your eyes for me. And be real quiet for just a minute. And I want you to understand that there may be somebody lost here this morning. There probably is somebody lost in this house this morning. And I don't know what, what it is that's keeping you from the decision to follow Jesus, but I would, I would just greatly guess that it's probably your pride. That it's probably you saying, you know what, I don't want to humble myself down and just say, God, I'm sorry for what I've done. God, I'm sorry. And Lord, please forgive me. But then there's probably also some people in here that know God. Some people that have had that relationship, that fellowship with the Father. And yet they've decided that they're going to try to do things on their own. That they're going to just abandon the Father for a little while. And then maybe you've gotten to the, to the point where you're just living in your sin. Where you're just in that, that mire, in that, in that stinking sin. And you think, well, if I go to the altar, what are they going to think about it? 
and they're too, you're too prideful. You're, you're too prideful to admit that you need God to forgive you of your sin. If that's you, I beg you, come to the altar. I, we, will, we will pray with you. If you're lost this morning, I beg you to come to the altar. I can't force you to do it. I can't take you by the hand and drag you down, or I would, but I can't do it. It takes you coming to yourself. It takes you making a decision to say, I want out of this sin. To make a decision to say, I don't want to live the rest of my life in this sinful condition. I don't want to die in my sin. So many people do. Brother Cecil, sing for us. I've wandered far away from God. Now I'm coming home. Anybody this morning?